I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And maybe the most important draft event happening here in 2021, the Senior Bowl is taking place in Mobile, Alabama this week, and we cover it all on this episode of Prospects 101, the show where we break down football prospects from all levels, talking high school prospects, college transfers, college recruiting, NFL prospects, and of course, the NFL draft. As always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partner of the show, Blue Wire Pods. I'm Brandon Glessner, as always, joined by my co-host, Kenny Keller. And we have a special guest tonight, Trey Newman from the College Football Bros. Again, you can follow them on social media, at CF Bros on Twitter and Instagram. Again, they're one of our favorite college football shows. Um, so we, we are so happy to have Trey on. Also, you can access their Patreon for exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash college football bros. What's up, Trey? How you doing, boys? Thanks for having me on. It's it's an honor, really. <laughs> no, no, the honor's all mine, man. I know uh, Les just talked about your Patreon a little bit, and for our listeners, uh, I'm actually a part of their Patreon. I subscribe to it, and uh, they have a really cool Discord I can vouch for, man. It's it's really top-notch, a lot of cool college football fans, and just sports fans in general. We have a good time talking sports. Yeah, we'll definitely get into some of that, especially with our top news, because from what I heard, Trey, is that the top news of the week with Josh Heupel was a big hit on your Discord. But before (laughs) that, I would like to do a little initiation here. And, you know, we were having a conversation online in another group chat, and I just think it's fun to do. Um, But, Trey, what what is your top three most – like like the worst team nicknames in the main four professional sports. And just, just to kick you off and just so people are what I'm talking about, I was sitting there today and I was listening to a D.C. podcast. I'm a D.C. sports fan, and I, I just couldn't help but just think about how awful the name Washington Wizards is. And it's obviously my number one worst name. So we all gave our three, and uh, I'll let Kenny chime in with his. But, Trey, what are your three – worst team nicknames in professional sports 
Wow, putting me on the spot here. Let's on the uh, spot. How, that's a, that's how what I. For sure, for sure, one that's always kind of triggering me just because it doesn't fit is the Utah Jazz. Obviously, I know they they move from New Orleans, but it's just it doesn't fit. Like that is nothing to do with Salt Lake. Like, what are you doing with that? They feel feel like they could have come up with their own identity there. Um, wow. Anything else that I can think of? What? I, let me hear some of yours. Let me. So I had. I'm with Gless. I had the Wizards. I thought was kind of a. a um, a big number one, but you know what? Now that you bring up the Jazz, what's funny? Have you ever seen basketball where they talk oh, about yeah. where they talk about the relocation of all the teams? He's like, the, and he's like, and then the New Orleans Jazz moved to Utah, where there is no Jazz, and the Minneapolis Lakers moved to Los Angeles, where they have no lakes. And I, it always makes me think of that when people say Utah, Jazz, and I'm a Utah Jazz fan. So, but yeah, the Lakers are kind of weird. I don't know. I really think the I, I think the Pelicans is kind of a. Um, a, a loser name. I don't know. It's just weird. Like I know it's the state bird, but like pelicans are gross. They're weird looking. They have that weird. They don't have a mascot. It's like that big baby. That yeah. weird, like it's cre- kind of creepy. Yeah. So that's that's probably one of mine. But I'd say wizards overwhelmingly. I think I'm with Glesson. This one is my least favorite. What, wizards was one, two for me was the Columbus Blue Jackets. I don't even know what that means. Um. <laughs> Uh, and three, I had the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays was awesome, right? They had, like, their colors that were black and purple, and they had the, the, the little – the actual ray. Now it's just like a ray of sunshine, and I'm like, that name sucks. It's just <laughs> – it, it is kind of weird. Like, it, it, it feels like they're not as edgy, and they have, like the, – they rebranded with a different color scheme, and thought the Devil Rays was cool. You know, They also one? have such plain uniforms. Do you have more plain like what, uniforms? They do. I, I don't know. I don't get the movement toward the plain like stuff. Like 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 the Bengals when they switched from the Bengal logo to the B, and then yeah. it just seems like everybody's kind of going with these plain logos now. I don't know if it's like a minimalist thing, but it just it's kind of boring. Yeah. But I, you know, who's boring to me? The I know it's a historical thing. The Browns is kind of boring. Like it's just. They're the Browns. Yeah. 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 You know who speaking of like jerseys and names, that the the Rams, I know they've they've rebranded a lot over the last few years, moving from, you know, LA to St. Louis and back to LA and and now with the the new stadium, like their uniforms to me could be so much cleaner. I am just not oh, a fan. Like they, they have a good identity of old school logo and old school unis, but what they're rocking now, no bueno. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I I was actually a massive fan of when they had the actual gold. Yeah. When it was the dark, when it was the navy and the gold helmet. Oh yeah. I used to love that. I was actually sad that they they got rid of those because I thought that was a really good look. But I what do it. I know, right? What do I know <laughs> over top marketing executives? So, <laughs> anyways, guys, let's get into some top news. I know that the majority of the show we're going to talk about the Senior Bowl. Um, if you are not watching Senior Bowl practice and you are a college football fan, you are sorely missing out. Because the coverage on ESPN, ESPNU has been fantastic. But before we get into that, I want to talk about the biggest news of the week. And that would be Tennessee really making a surprise hire. But if you think about it, it's not that much of a surprise hire when you think of who they just hired up as their athletic director. And they hired Central Florida's Josh Heupel to take the reins of that very, very rocky program. Yeah, Trey, why don't you kick it off? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, he's first of all, he's dealt 
he's probably going to be dealt here a tough hand in the sense of we don't exactly know what may be coming down the pike with, with some sanctions, with some of the violations they just had. And obviously, not to mention, it was already going to be an uphill battle considering they're in the SEC and, the, and especially in the East, they're already behind Georgia and Florida who at this point have a, a decent head start. But I'm not going to ridicule the hire. Like, you know, honestly, Hypo resonates with me a little bit more than guys like Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, uh, Jeremy Pruitt even. So I think there there is some hope. If I was a Vol fan, I could certainly talk myself into it, especially considering the fact that Tennessee, the last four years or something, they, their offense has finished in the bottom like third of the SEC. I know Heupel is going to get that train rolling. So at least for the Vol fans out there, he'll at least put a, a fun product on the offensive side of the ball. But now can he compete with the, the rest of the big boys? That's That's a tougher task. Yeah, I, I didn't love or hate the hire. Like, I, I wasn't down on it because I know Gless, I know you and I talked a little bit offline. I know uh, Trey in the Discord, I kind of mentioned this. I thought they needed a vanilla hire. Like, you weren't going to get some up-and-coming big-name coach like Billy Napier, um, and you weren't going to lure some big-name coach away from, like, say, Penn Station, like we heard, or Penn State, like we heard a lot of people saying that they had conversations with James Franklin or P.J. Fleck. I didn't think that was plausible because why would those coaches tie their tie their wagons to a team that they don't know what's coming down? Danny White brought in his right hand guy in in Heupel. He knows he he runs a clean program, which is going to be important coming out of what they're going to be dealing with here. And he know and, and he knows he can keep his finger as pulse on the program. So I don't love it. I don't hate it. I think they could have definitely hired a better coach, but I just don't think that was an option with what, what, like you said, what, what the sanctions could be rolling down. But they also – Heupel's not the worst hire either. I, I think he's a guy who can steer the program out of out of the toilet where, where they're going to be coming from. Because, look, I mean, they went 3-7 and seven this year, and this is a sanctionless team. Like, I know that people are saying they might not get hit too bad because this is all self-reported, but they're still going to get hit with something. They're not going to just walk away with it unscathed. So I, I think I, I'm okay with it. I, you're, I, I, think, yeah. I think it's the right hire. I, I don't think that Hypo is the guy that's going to take them back to being an SEC East contender. But what I do think is I think that he'll make and keep Tennessee competitive. And I think part of this hire was just like the self-reporting. I think it was basically saying not only do we self-report the sanctions, but we hired an AD and the AD hired a guy that – he knows and trusts and can keep his, you know, keep his pulse on the program. Both are outsiders, right? They don't they don't come from the Tennessee line, so you don't have to worry about the boosters. I I just get this feeling that these hires that they've done with Danny or uh, uh, I'm sorry, is Danny White right? Is the AD? Yeah. Yep. With Danny White now, Josh Heupel, I think it's another signal to the NCAA of saying, hey man. Don't hit us too hard. We are really trying our best here. And I actually think it's going to benefit them in the end, right? I, I really do. I think – I don't think that – they're going to get hit with something, but it certainly won't be near USC because I think that they're just doing everything right at this point. Now, at the same time, is he the guy that's going to take you to be able to compete with Florida and Georgia? Only time will tell. I mean, who knows? He's an offensive guy. He's done well where he's been at. Uh, but, again, once you're kind of thrown into a tough situation and – you know, I don't know. At this point, Tennessee's kind of desperate to, to try anything because nothing's worked since, you know, the George W. Bush administration. <laughs> so, you know, at, at this point, we, they, they're they're trying something new. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think 
he's a good guy to ride out the storm with. Like, I think yeah. they could have did worse. I don't know if they could have did much better is how I'll put it. Yeah. Like, so I, I overall, I don't hate the hire that much. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. So I think it's pretty neutral. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get to some senior bowl talk right now. Let's talk about the game preview and the participants uh, with the most approved. And before I let each uh, one of you guys kind of chime in here, a couple things that I've noticed just about the senior bowl and a couple things to note. One, the senior bowl, in my opinion, is more important than ever with the scouting combine not taking place this year with uh, only one pro day happening. And with a lot of these guys that are – or not a lot, but a, a fair amount of guys this week that are participating that didn't play in 2020, right? They didn't play in the college football season. And they're going to have one pro day after this with no combine. So really a, a lot is riding on the shoulders of guys like Jamie Newman, guys like uh, – who's the receiver from Michigan? Why am I forgetting his name? Nico Nico's, Collins. Yeah. Nico Collins, right? Um the corner out of Oregon. I mean, there's just a handful of guys that didn't play that really have to show up this week in order to kind of dr- save their draft stock. The other thing that I'll say is I thought the coverage and what's going on on ESPNU is absolutely fantastic. Same thing I said to start the show. If you don't have that on while you're working, are you even a college football fan? I mean, that, that would be my question because it's so much fun to watch all these drills, the one-on-ones, the corners versus receivers, the O-line versus D-line, the running backs versus, um, versus linebackers. Uh, linebackers. And then, of course, all the quarterbacks that you've seen for the last four years now taking the field. So with that, guys, who are some of the guys that you're keeping an eye on that have the most approved on the game, not only this week, but the game on Saturday? Yeah, a couple a couple guys caught my eye when I looked at the initial rosters and then leading into the practices. And, and off the top of my head, a guy I was really excited to see is Hunter Long. He's a tight end from Boston College. I feel like the tight end class isn't necessarily that deep this year. And to me, I think he's one of the most underrated players in the – honestly, in the entire college football. He's 6'5", 255 pounds. He had 685 yards receiving, five touchdowns, and he really helped open up that offense for first-time quarterback, starting quarterback Phil Yurkovich, um, uh, Yurkovich, sorry. And uh, to me, he has the size, but I wanted to see how he looked on those one-on-one drills, how he looked going up against safeties and linebackers in the 11-11 drills. So that was a guy who really excited me. Another guy was Demetric Felton. And this is a guy who, who played running back this year for – UCLA but he's actually at the combine as a wide receiver he's kind of a a do-it-all like if you look at his 2019 numbers he had 86 yards rushing for 331 yards and then he had 55 catches for 594 yards but then this season they asked him to be more of a running back and he had 132 carries for 668 yards we know he had a couple big games as we talked about on the podcast during the season and he also he didn't do as much receiving because they asked for him to be more of a, of a running back this season but he came in and measured in at 5'8 190 pounds um during initial weigh-in for uh, the senior bowl I, so I'm just really excited to see what he can do transitioning to being a full-time receiver because he's really going to be an kind of an offensive weapon at the next level and then my final guy who really got me? Who really got me excited to see what he could do during this weekend during the game was Jamie Newman. Look, I'm a Wake Forest guy. Everybody, I think, knows that. Um, but 
look, the guy's got the the size and the attributes to be successful. He's a big dude. He's 6'5", 240 pounds. He can run. He's got a cannon for an arm. Like He's got everything you would want to build a good quarterback out of to play at the next level. But he, we haven't seen him play in like 16 months. You know, he had some – some bright spots at Wake. He could throw the ball very well down the field. He threw nine routes in deep post, po- like 20-yard post, phenomenally well. Um, but he had issues in the, in the short and intermediate passing game. So I want to see how he can handle and what he's improved on since we haven't seen him in the last 16 months. So those were kind of three guys off the top of my head that, that going into this week I was excited to see practice and play. How yeah, about you, I, Trey? Well, I really like – Felton, like you said, he he's just so versatile. Chip Kelly used him all over the field, and like I would see, he seems to me. I'm this is a little out of my lane. I, I don't really judge translation to the NFL, but like he just seems like such a valuable asset to any NFL team when you can you can use him in multiple ways. Um, Gless, you kind of touched on a couple guys that that stood out to me mainly because of the. It's going to be so fascinating seeing how these opt out players how they transition into into the draft and into the NFL, like how much does the rust kind of cost them or do teams kind of scout them a little bit differently, not having, you know, one less year of, of, of film, but, but Nico Collins of Michigan, one of the reasons though, not just because he opted out, but Michigan kind of underachieved in terms of having a good offense the last couple of years under Harbaugh. He's a physical threat, big guy. Um, but he just didn't have the opportunity to really fully break out. So I'm, it'll be curious, like for you guys, kind of a question, like, his measurables, like he's a guy, physical specimen. Like when you guys kind of look at this, do you think teams kind of over-evaluate maybe measurables or maybe just focus on a senior bowl practice as opposed to like what they show on film? Why don't you answer that one, Gless? Take that one. Yeah, I think it's a balancing act. Me personally, I've always said that everybody looks good in shorts. Right, yeah. like you can go out, right, if they, and and running on air, all of that. I think once you get to the point of I I'm a potentially an NFL player, there's a lot of guys that probably look like you with those measurables. Now there's always special people, there's always special kids, no doubt. To me, I think that one one of the things that I've noticed in the just watching practice. Some of these guys that do look similar body wise, you can tell the difference once they put pads on and once they run run routes and what are they doing when the ball's in the air? Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I think measurables are, are, are something you can kind of grasp if you're between two players maybe. But I've always kind of thought a lot of that can be a little bit overrated. I, I, I like film and practice. I think that's where you, you see really how good a kid is, uh, especially against competition. You start to throw them in the fire. I, yeah. think, I think – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Trey. No, no, no. Carry I on. think for I think for me measurables is important just because I think it it helps judge a ceiling of a player maybe not necessarily like obviously film and, and like what less is very important that's fair but I th- I think for me it, it helps you give a good sense of a ceiling like you you see a guy like Nico Collins who's who who weighed in at six four two fifteen and then you see a guy like Tylen Wallace who's five eleven one ninety three Tylen Wallace immensely more productive in college. But then you look at Nico Williams or Collins, and you're like, man, if 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 he even just you know plays halfway up to what his measurables are, he could be a dominant player. He's a guy. He's a guy I can coach up. Where Tylen Wallace, I might have, I might, I might already have 
you know, who might already hit a ceiling by the time he gets to the NFL. There's just not a lot much more you can put on there. So I think it's a balancing act, but I, I do think measurables are important to an extent. But like Les said, once you put the pads on, that's when you really start to separate for sure. Yeah, and, and that's kind of my opinion because, you know, a lot of people, the average fan will look at Nico Collins and they'll just kind of look at his stat line. They're like, yeah, he didn't do much. But I, I like to think of it like, okay, you put his measurables and his talent in a different offense there's no reason to think he couldn't have put up some big numbers, but that's uh, that's part of the risk you take. So, so anyways, that's that's one guy. Uh, Glass, I hope I'm not taking all your guys. I, I Thomas Graham though was another opt out because he had so much hype kind of coming in this year, and then of course he decided to opt out the Oregon corner. Um, he's not the fastest guy out there, but his production the first couple of years at Oregon would have him ranked near you know the top of the corners around the country. But I've kind of seen that. I've read that he hasn't had the greatest couple of days here at practice, so I haven't been able to see too many of, of his clips, but just from what I've I've uh, picked off. But the the other thing that I was being picked off is he, he had a couple picks against my beloved Cornhuskers, so I know he, he must be okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Thomas Graham was actually one of the, you know, when I put down four guys here, and honestly, Trey, the, the reason he's intriguing is exactly what you said, that he was a guy that sat out, um, I personally have my own opinion about guys that sit out that aren't generational. Um, and if you listen to the podcast, or if anybody yeah. listens to the podcast, they know how I feel about it. Um, so I was very curious, and I thought that ESPN did a really good job of, of making the point. If you sat out and you haven't played football in a year and a half, right, like what's going to happen with the soft tissue, right? Are you going to be pulling hamstrings or – our ankle is going to be a little bit loose, right? Or you're just going to be a little bit more vulnerable, which is why I think this week is going to be interesting. And you don't get that football speed, right? You're just – it's going to take you a while to get back into that. So Thomas Graham was certainly one for me. Uh, certainly he's a lockdown corner at Oregon when he's played. Uh, Sage Surratt is another guy that I thought was interesting, certainly uh, is another guy that opted out. Um, yeah, but two guys that didn't opt out and that played last year – that I'm really curious. Uh, first one is Amari Rogers, and mainly for the reason is because the receiving class that's coming out this year may be the deepest that I can ever remember coming out of the draft. And he's a darn good receiver, and he comes from receiver U, right? I mean, I, I kind of looking for this guy to have a big game and then have a really good week because he'd be a great guy in the second, third, even fourth round if he's still there that a team could pick up and probably be a pretty productive pro. Uh, and the other one's Trey Smith, um, tackle from University of Tennessee. Another guy that I wanted that, that again, was very highly recruited, come out, big name. I, I want to see what he does against the big guys, right? Let, let's see if he can start to make his way up draft boards with a really good week. So those were some guys that really stood out to me as – Guys that I think have a lot have the most to prove, but can really uh, really influence their draft stock this week for sure if they come out and play. You know what was surprising with Amari Rogers is I didn't realize until I watched weigh-ins how stout he is. Like you know, you normally hear these guys and they're five because he measured in at five nine and a half. You know, you would think he's probably what like one eighty one eighty five maybe one ninety. That's what those guys normally at that height weigh in at. Dude, he's 211 pounds. That's a he's just dude. a big ball of muscle, man. I was imp- I was really impressed with, with with how he looked at weigh-in. I was I was stunned at how like how thick and like big he was. 
Yeah, and, and you know, you guys haven't. I like it. We've we've talked about a bunch of guys, and we haven't talked about quarterbacks. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys at the Senior Bowl aren't going to be the the top 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 guys uh, at quarterback getting drafted. But it's very important this week because there's a big mix of people that are kind of in that four through eight range, and that can be a huge difference in terms of obviously, uh, you know, salary and whatnot. Because you got guys like Ian Book, Sam Ellinger. Mac Jones is kind of up there. You got, I mean, it's, uh, and, and Jamie Newman, like you mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a slew of guys that if they can perform this week, that's going to make a difference between yeah. four, fifth versus eighth, ninth quarterback. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So let's touch on that because, Trey, I think you bring up a great point uh, and we'll open this up for discussion. Besides Newman, who do you guys think has the most to prove this week? Oh, uh, I think to an extent, Matt Jones, I, I don't think his stock would necessarily be depleted. Like, I don't think he would fall. Cause I think right now he's, he's considered a first rounder. Um, I don't think like if he had like an average to bad week, he was going to fall off, but I do think he has a lot to prove because you're going to hear, you hear a lot about, well, you know, he had guys on the offensive line, like Alex Leatherwood, um, Christensen at center. You had, uh, Brown at guard. So you had three like all American offensive linemen. He was handing the ball to Najee Harris. He was throwing the Waddle, the Heisman winner Devonta Smith, and and John Mechie. So you had all these like detractors who were saying, well, like you could put me at quarterback and I'd put up numbers, and and that might be a fair criticism. So I think from just a, a standpoint of he needs a good week to shake that criticism because I do think he's a really really good quarterback, and I don't think it matters who you put around him, I think it just amplifies how good he is. But I think for his detractors, he needs a good week to just to shake off a lot of that criticism, fair or unfair. How about you, Trey? There's one it, one guy I kind of point to is Kellen Mond, Texas A&M. He, he's hard for me because he's one of the – he's a guy that he's been with one of the best coaches teaching him in Jimbo Fisher the last few years. And that just makes me kind of wonder if he's, he's hit his ceiling because – you know, watching his games, there's some. He's just a mixed bag. Sometimes he looks just kind of lights out, and he is athletic because he can scramble and run for a few first downs. Then there's some other games where you just kind of shaking your head, and you just you, he leaves you with you know a lot to be desired. So I feel like he's going to need to make a statement if he wants to yeah. you know have some success coming up. Yeah, I I agree with that one. <laughs> I, I'm going to say a comment, and then I'm going to I'm going to give my guy. I mean, could Kellen Mond, when he th- when he drops back to pass, look more like a robot? I mean, I've never <laughs> seen a more bionic quarterback. Like it's almost like he's just like he's doing a robot. I, it's just it he just it doesn't look natural. It's the oddest thing. I, I don't I can't put my finger on it, but it just oh, I, I hear you. It looks it's a odd to watch. You know what I mean? It's a weird thing to watch. Um, you, you know, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a guy that size wise has it all has the arm strength. I think Felipe Franks has a ton to prove this week. I think that, in in my opinion, probably didn't live up to expectations at Florida. I actually thought he had a pretty good season in Arkansas this year. Uh, Physically, the kids got it. Uh, I watched him the first three snaps of 11 on 11. It did not look good. and He just looked like he was a little bit over his head, but physically, he's got it. I think he could move in and be a quarterback that's picked in the fourth or fifth round if if he can have a good week. And if not, then he may be a cat that's a, a seventh-round draft pick or an undrafted free agent that'll be a camp arm, and, and maybe he can make a practice squad somewhere. But he's a guy that I think could 
could could really, you know, make a splash and be that again that fourth and fifth round pick if he just shows up this week. Yeah, you know who you know who Frank's kind of or at least his draft stock kind of reminds me of, and the reason I think he'll end up getting drafted even if he has a poor performance this week because guys like that with with cannon arms and big size they get drafted and Tannenbaum talked about it today during practice. He was like, look, I would draft a guy like Felipe Franks just because I like, I feel like my staff could coach this guy up to his, his potential when you look at him. Cause he's six six two thirty four. But like guys like think of guys like Tanner Lee and, and I know Trey, Trey's uh, probably going to try but he got drafted. He was drafted I, by he, the, by the Jaguars. Yeah. And, and mainly because he had a rocket for an arm and, you know, in coachable NFL size. So I think, bless you, you're onto something there. We're talking about, you know, Franks, who's 6'6", 234 pounds. He's got a naturally strong arm. Um, sometimes it doesn't seem like he knows where it's going, but it only takes one scout to convince – or one scout to convince a GM or a coach or a coach to convince a GM that, hey, I can coach this guy up and really unlock yeah. his, his potential. But it, what, what's really interesting to me is outside of Mac Jones, you have literally five quarterbacks who are going to be – the the next five selected after the first six. I think everybody pretty much knows you're going to have Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, um, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask are going to be your first five selected, and then it's kind of anybody's game after that. Exactly. So like Trey, like Trey, like you were saying, man, there's a lot of money and a lot of draft capital to be made of everybody this week outside of Mac Jones for yeah. sure. The only the only thing that I, I would rebuke or just kind of fight Tannebon on a little bit with a comment like that, and, and and I totally get why, right? It's the whole ceiling argument that you just talked about, and I totally get it, and that makes total sense. The only thing I would say is I can coach him up. I mean, quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators move around the league like you know, like ibuprofen, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, like, oh, I would love to coach this guy, and then next week he's signing on to be Carolina's, you know, quarterback coach or something like that. So I just I, – I wonder if that shit – that mindset is going to change a little bit. Um, or, or maybe it doesn't because, again, like I said – so, for example, the, the example is like Felipe Franks against, like, Ian Book. Well, like, Ian Book's like six foot. Ian Book's not <laughs> growing anymore. Like, Felipe Franks towers over Ian Book. Like, if you put them two together and you didn't put film on, you'd be like, well, I'm going to pick that guy over that guy. So, I mean, I get it. I, I get why. I just, you know, for those shorter guys, uh, you know, I, I do feel a little bit bad just because I think that they are the better player, at least now. But, you know, unfortunately, it's just the the way things are in the NFL. So Before before we move on, you know who you know who Felipe Franks is in my eyes? Every time I watch him play, he's Ryan Mallett. Yeah, that's, that's, who, that's a that's great comparison. Is. That's a good one. Um, all right, guys, let's get into practice, right? And, again, I've said it a couple times, the coverage has been outstanding. Uh, uh, Tannebaum, uh, <clears throat> Todd McShay, my personal favorite. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Lewis Riddick is on there, gives giving some great nuggets about these guys. Uh, great practices, generally how it's structured. They start off just kind of getting used to the playbook, kind of some half speed, 11 on 11. Then they start to get into the fun stuff. They get into some drills. They get into one-on-ones. They get into 11 on 11s. Then, unfortunately, halfway through practice, they tend to put everybody asleep and do special teams. And then they get a bun- into, into a bunch of the other drills. So uh, a, lot of pra- a lot of really good practice time. Um, so who are some guys that have stood out to you in the first three days, just kind of looking at drills, looking at one-on-ones, and in the 11-on-11 the drills as well? Kenny, we'll start so with you. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. So from the, from the national team, what, who really has me excited – uh, tight end out of Boise State, John Bates. I didn't really know much about this guy coming into this, coming into uh, this Senior Bowl week, and nothing he's really done ha- in like individual drills has really wowed me. But every time they go on eleven on eleven, he is just eating up, eating up the defense. I mean, just he's always the safety valve for whatever quarterback's throwing him the football. He seems to earn the QB's trust, trust right away. He's made a couple of nice plays. Uh, he made a couple of nice plays in some red zone 11 on 11 drills today, like like little like uh, you know, first and goal from the 10 type drives that they'd set up. He made a couple great plays. Uh, everything he's done from an 11 on 11 standpoint has just been really good. It doesn't seem like anybody's been really able to body him up. Um, another guy. And, Gless, I've been raving about this guy all week long, ever since day one practice, and that's Kay Johnson, wide receiver from South oh, Dakota you State. love some Kay Johnson. Man, this guy <laughs> has you – know, he was super productive at the FCS level, and you're like, okay, well, you know, you've got to be to be a really big prospect to come out of the FCS. Like, you have to be a big fish in a small pond – or you have to be a big fish in a big pond uh, in the FCS to, to really stand out. And this guy had done that, and then all he's done is just cook dudes in individual one-on-one drills, and he's even done well on 11-on-11 as, as well. He, he's made a couple highlight catches. Um, just everything about he, – he's really clean out of his breaks. He's got great footwork. He's able to create separation. Now, I, I don't think he's going to get drafted extremely high. I think he's going to be a guy who probably goes anywhere from the fourth to the sixth round. But honestly, he was staring at, as a, he was staring at undrafted free agency coming into this week, maybe a seventh-round pick. He's really elevated his play to me, and he's done it against some of the best corners we've seen, which is going to translate right into my next guy, and that's Trey Brown, the cornerback out of Oklahoma. Love I think this he's, kid. Love he's this by kid. Far, he's by far put on the best tape, I think, of all defensive backs this week. He shows up in one-on-one drills, which are extremely biased toward receivers. It's very tough for a defensive back to really look good in these drills, and he's done it, and he's, and he's done it while also um, causing turnovers. Like, I think he's picked off Sam Ellinger twice in these um, one-on-one drills. He's looked good at 11-on-11. He looked good in the defensive back drills today where they were doing kind of a a switch at the goal line, Um, you know, mixing up coverages. I thought he did a really good job. And and the only guy I've seen who's gotten his goat this week was Cade Johnson, which is why I I thought Cade Johnson was so impressive. But Trey Brown – 
and Cade Johnson, to me, have probably been the two best offensive and defensive players I've seen, uh, which doesn't bode well for the American team because both guys are on the national team. And one guy I really want to – or two guys I really want to touch on real quick on the national – or on the American side. Quincy Roche has looked absolutely unbelievable on on, on the offensive-defensive line drills. He's cooked Alex Leatherwood. He's cooked, uh, he's cooked everybody he's gone up against, Dylan Raddins. Anybody who's a big name at the offensive line position right now, he's just absolutely gone and put on a clinic on, on the individual drills. Um, he's looked a little off on 11-on-11. 11 11. His size does kind of hurt him. So when they're in obvious running situations or, or not obvious passing situations, I think it might be a, a thing where in the NFL he might be – uh, a nickel or a situational pass rusher, but he's absolutely can play and rush the quarterback at the next level. He's got elite pass rushing ability and elite speed. Um, and then another guy, we talked about him earlier, uh, Amari Rogers. He's looked great, man. He's so, I, I, I did not expect him to be as large as he is, like as big as he's as stout as he's been, but then he just goes out there and plays like he, 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 He's 5'9", 211, but he plays like he's 5'8", 160. He gets in and out of breaks very well. He's got great bursts. He's got great speed. He reminds me a lot of Debu Samuel. That's exactly – when I saw him mm. play, I was like, this is who he is. He's, a, he, he's great at, at getting in and out of cuts. He's great at running routes, but he's also a great yards after the catch guy. Like, he's very physical and very tough to bring down. Uh, I've been impressed with what he's been able to do on one-on-ones and 11-on-11. He's looked smooth. He's looked fast. Everything's been crisp. He catches everything in sight. Uh, I've just been really impressed by him as well. Trey, anybody stand out for you? There's a couple guys. One, mainly maybe just because I, I really liked him in college, and that's Jabril, Cro- Jabril Cox at, at, from LSU, linebacker. Mm-hmm. He was transferred from North Dakota State prior to that. I just – he kind of got lost in the shuffle this year since LSU had such a horrendous year on defense, but he's a tackle machine, had a, a knack for forcing turnovers. You know, I look at it, he's, they list him as 6'2", but honestly, like, his his wingspan to me just looks massive. I don't know, maybe it's just <laughs> him in a uniform or something, but I was reading and I saw a couple of clips, he put some offensive linemen on their back, so it's not just his athleticism, um, it's his strength too, so that could work to his benefit there. Um, there's a guy that's just been getting, honestly, at this point, it seems like too much buzz and that's Dwayne Eskridge, uh, Western Michigan wide receiver. Like going into this, I really liked him. I thought he'd be kind of an under the radar guy because I, he, I, I like to watch a lot of Mac football during, you know, midweek during the year. And like every year there's a guy in the Mac that just kind of, he's just, they just stand out. Like they're the a men amongst boys as in terms of athleticism. He's that guy he looked good in his uniform, whatever he had that swagger, but now he's just like everyone's just raving about him, which kind of, I'm kind of a devil's advocate. Now it's kind of scaring me <laughs> away from him. Uh, so, so he's been really solid. And then the last guy I'll kind of touch on is um, Kadarius Tony, the Florida wide receiver. The reason I kind of bring him up though, is because he's only 5'11", but he's super fast. He was one of Kyle Trask's favorite targets this year. You know, he'd be probably kind of good in the slot, kind of like Percy Harvin, an old Florida receiver. Mm-hmm. But you see that in the NFL nowadays, that new wave of it's not just those tall, big, wide receivers like the Randy Mosses or whatever. It's it's getting these fast players. Like you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, it's like Tyreek Hill, Miko Hardman. It's just get these guys in space and then just run. And he could be a guy kind of that fits that mold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that comparison, and, and we've talked about it on the show before. The the days of the six four, six five receiver in the NFL 
are certainly not gone, but they're certainly dwindling, right? And to your point, if you look at all the receivers that have been taken in the last few years, you look at the uh, the Tyree Kills of the world, you look at these guys that are just flat-out burners, guys that can can get separation. They don't have to be 6'4 and 6'5 anymore. Um, So, you know, I would agree with you. I actually love Tony, and I know my Washington football team fandom sitting there at 19, if there's not a quarterback you like, if he – gets to me at 19, you know, outside of that initial crop of receivers, man, if you can get a guy with that kind of speed to compliment uh, Terry McLaurin, man, I might be all in on that, assuming you've got the quarterback <laughs> position all taken care of, which for us is a, a huge question mark, as, as most NFL fans know. Um, also, could – could Todd McShay talk more about Dwayne Eskridge? I know. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I know. <laughs> Was, <laughs> we we get it, Todd. We get it. It's he's had a weird week, man. Because I, I, I like I I I don't I'm not a huge Todd McShay fan, but he's normally pretty solid. Like I don't really have a lot of criticism about how he covers players. He usually does a pretty decent job, but I feel like he's just harped on the same guys all three days. Like every time I talk, every time I hear him talk, he's either talking about Eskridge, Nico Collins, or he's talking about. Um, Carter, the running back from North Carolina, and talking about how he was raised in like a military family and how he's disciplined. That's like I swear it's like burned into my brain if that's all he's talked about this week. It's it's just been kind of weird. But yeah, I mean Eskridge has definitely put on a show. I don't know if I'm in as love with him as McShay is, but he's definitely helped his stock for sure. Couple guys that really stood out to me, Kenny, you cover uh you covered him, so I won't gush over him too much. Trey Brown, the corner from Oklahoma, has looked absolutely unbelievable. Certainly a guy that I think in a weaker corner draft is probably playing himself into a day two pick at this point. So, you know, if he has a really good game on Saturday, I could, man, I could see him catching the eyes of a lot of teams on day two. Uh, Tylen Wallace, I think, has had a pretty good week. Not a great week, but a pretty good week. And, again, he's kind of in that second, third wide receiver crop. Uh, again, very productive at Oklahoma State. I thought he's had a decent week. Uh, Teron Jackson, uh, edge rusher from Coastal, just like Quincy Roche, to me he's just shown speed. And a lot of the edge rushers, I haven't seen a lot of pure like turn-the-corner speed. Love Teron Jackson. Only thing about him, he's a little bit undersized, but – if, again, if anybody's ever listened to this podcast knows we do love uh, we do love ourselves some Coastal Carolina. So Trey, let's Trey, Coastal. Trey included, Trey included. Oh yeah, hey, go there we go. go Coastal size. Uh, and then uh, last guy, Creed Humphrey uh, on the inside. Another Oklahoma guy has looked really, really good as well. We've actually been in uh, a couple of text message chats with a couple of buddies of ours who who have also noticed Creed. Creed Humphrey and are uh, salivating over him and maybe getting drafted to their team. So I think that uh, th- those are uh, some four guys that really stood out to me. Now I know we talked about guys that had you know needed to have big weeks. We talked about guys that are having great weeks. Now let's talk about guys that really need to rebound on Saturday that have really kind of struggled in some of these one-on-one drills or haven't really looked great in eleven-on-eleven. So Kenny, who are some guys that you kind of have written down that? that really need to rebound on Saturday? Yeah, for me, uh, starting with the national team, a guy that disappointingly has looked really bad, and obviously, again, you know, everybody knows I'm a huge Deeks fan. Go Wake Forest, but Sage Surratt, he looks slow. He's looked sloppy. 
He's dropped a lot of balls. He hasn't created a lot of separation in one-on-one or 11-on-11 drills. He just doesn't look like – I mean, he looks like a guy who hasn't played football in a year. But even even worse than that, like, okay, yeah, I could excuse that maybe on Tuesday. You know, you're rusty. You haven't had a lot. But Wednesday he hasn't looked good. Today, like, he just – he just doesn't look like and, – and speed was already a question mark for him anyway because he's never really been able to show. But I'm concerned on his pro day, the way he's playing right now, it looks like he's running in quicksand. Like I would be surprised if he runs a 4-6 a, a, a or higher, which would be absolutely devastating. So he really needs to be able to put on some good game tape on Saturday because his film during practice has not looked great so far. Uh, sorry to pick on your guy, Gless, but Keith Taylor – defensive back out of Washington I feel like every time I've watched him <laughs> in drills this week he's just getting absolutely torched and I know <laughs> I know I know Hold to be fair to be fair as a UW fan he's not even our good corner I don't even know why he's there but that's okay he just – yeah, he and then he's gotten chippy. Like, after he's gotten beat, he's had some kind of questionable, like, shoves or – or to the point where, like, Miami Dolphins coaches have gotten on him about his aggressiveness after the play is already over uh, on these drills. I think he's just frustrated, man. He's just gotten beat a, a lot. So he's going to need a big game day. Uh, Sam Ellinger, man, he's thrown a couple picks on one-on-ones. He's, he's missed – a lot of open throws and 11-on-11s. He just hasn't been very consistent. I think the mobility's there. Obviously, he's a very dynamic athlete at the position, but I was really expecting him to play a lot better. And honestly, I think Ian Books has, has moved past him on my rankings. Before this, I would have had Ian Book behind Sam Ellinger, but honestly, I think Sam Ellinger really needs to show up on Saturday uh, to, to jump Ian Book back, at least in my rankings again. And then on the American team, just real quick, uh, a couple guys I think really need to put on some good film on Saturday. Alex Leatherwood. You know, we keep hearing a lot of – there's a, there's a big range of where we see that he could go. Like, we see, I've seen him mocked as high as mid-first round. I've seen scouts that have him ranked highly, and I've seen mock drafts who have had him going in the second round and scouts who have said he's a second round prospect at times at drills he's been absolutely locked down like today he had a really good day he locked down Quincy Roche twice but then yesterday he got cooked by him three or four times um Boogie Basham cooked um Leatherwood a couple times yesterday so he's just had a very up and down performance I think a, a good statement game on Saturday will do a lot to probably lock him in to a high second round pick, a high day two pick, possibly a low first round. I don't quite think he's going to – I think at, at this point he's probably a fringe first rounder. Um, and then another guy who's really – step up is is, Wayne, is White Hubert, defensive end out of Kansas State. There's times where he looks absolutely relentless and, and utilizes a bull rush very, very well. I, I liked what I saw when he was rushing the passer in these one-on-one drills from the interior, even though he's more of a out, more of a five or seven tech, but he's got raw strength. Like the guy uses his leverage well, but the only problem is when he's not utilizing his leverage, when his technique gets sloppy, he just gets absolutely crushed by these bigger offensive linemen. So I really want to see what he can do. If he can consistently get after the passer, if he can hold and shed his blocks uh, during the game because he hasn't quite been able to show that he could do that consistently in these drills. So he's a guy I'm really going to keep an eye on on Saturday and who really needs some good game film. Yeah. So I'm, I'm more of a glass half full guys. I don't, I don't like looking at the negative and, and what, what they haven't done, 
But there was a couple – so, you know, we talked about Amari Rogers, but another Clemson receiver, Cornell Powell, kind of – he really kind of came – from the average college football fan, kind of came out of nowhere towards the end of the year. Um, he kind of blew up late, and he wasn't really a, a primary target of uh, of Trevor Lawrence, you know, in his career. But he I've, – I've, I've seen a couple plays where he just wasn't – I don't know. Maybe he was like trying too hard or something. He he would he'd beat the defender off the block. Wouldn't wouldn't come down with the catch. Cornell Powell is a guy that he's starting to get some buzz because just because he showed up late. But I'll be curious to see how he he kind of pans out. Another guy that I kind of looked at was Jacoby Stevens, the LSU safety. He really for me when I look at LSU, he thrived a couple years ago when they won the title. But that this past year didn't do a whole lot, and that kind of gives me a little bit of concern because. You know, he, he can thrive when he has a ton of talent around him, but on his own, it maybe wasn't as uh, as great. Um, so th- so he's a guy I was kind of looking at. And then a guy that I really haven't seen a whole lot, I saw a couple plays of him, and it's your boy, Kenny, uh, Carlos Basham. I saw he, you know, he's very versatile. The thing I like about him is because he can, seems like he can do inside and outside. How's he, how's he performing? I didn't really see much about him. So he's kind of been up and down. I think the last, the first day was kind of rough for him. Tuesday, he did not put in a good practice. Um, Wednesday and Thursday, he's definitely done a lot to kind of put that in the rear view mirror. I think he's, for him, the problem with him is he, he doesn't necessarily flash. Like he's not an elite pass rusher. Like he doesn't have amazing speed. His burst is, you know, above everything he does is kind of above average. Nothing's really great. But the, the good thing is, is, is everything he does is above average. So it kind of comes out like in the plus, but the only problem is he just doesn't look good. I guess, I guess he's the guy who doesn't look good in shorts. Like for him, he's a game film type of guy. So you're right. I mean, he's definitely someone who, who needs good game film on Saturday. He's a guy who I think thrives in getting in the flow of the game versus starting and stopping and doing these one-on-one drills. It just doesn't seem to really jive with his skill set. Couple guys on my list, and I'm gonna save the best for last. That I think really needs to have a, a, a gonna have to have a big game on Saturday. Uh, first guy, Jordan Smith. In, in drills, he just looks a tad bit slow. Looks like he's just getting kind of manhandled on on the one on one. So I think in order to help his draft stock, I think a, a, a good game Saturday uh, would really go a long way for him. I think. Uh, Felipe Franks, I've already mentioned him, right? A guy that going out there with an NFL offense and does he have the footwork? Does he have the mental processing? Can he show enough to show teams that he's worth getting drafted and not go undrafted? Now, my next two, uh, no surprise, anybody who knows me, these guys were guys that opted out, but that I I don't think should have opted out. I think that they needed to be there and get some more great, uh, get some more film on on and what they can do first guy we've covered is nico collins right physically he's got it all right well let's let's see what you can do against really good competition and let's see what you can do against some of the best quarterbacks in the country throwing you the ball right and and let's get some of that on film and can do are you in football shape can you do the things that an nfl wide receiver is going to be required to do especially coming off the bench cold i guess you could say so i I would like to see a big rebound from him. I know he's looked good in drills, but when you opt out, there's a target on your back that you have to come out. You sat – this is the whole reason you sat out, right? You sat out because you didn't want to play in a season that was quote-unquote 
you know, half-baked or whatever you want to call it. So it's going to be a big moment for him. And, and can he rebound enough to really make uh, himself get into that second or third tier? Guys, another guy that I think really needs to have a big week, and we talked about him a lot on Prospects 101 leading into the college football season, and that's Kylan Hill running back out of Mississippi State. Oh my God. This, was a, this was a guy that we thought could be a borderline second-round pick, day-two pick coming out um, with a really good season in Mississippi State. Now, I get it. Mike Leach came in, running the air raid. Running backs aren't that much of a feature. I get it. Kylan Hill did not help himself by opting out three games in. Understand it was a bad season. On um, three games, only had 58 yards rushing. Um, just, just not a over, not a good look overall. So this is gonna, he's really gonna have to get some great film on himself this week, and he's really gonna have to turn some heads when he's got the ball in his hands. In my opinion, to be a draftable running back on day two or day three, because there's enough running backs out there, you're gonna be able to find these guys. But I think a great game on Saturday can go a long way for Kylan Hill and his draft stock when it comes to April. I 100% agree on that last one, too, because another thing with him is one of his bugaboos was he he got injured a decent amount at, at Mississippi State. So if he can kind of put some, some good film on tape to give, uh, to give the scouts a last good taste, that can only help him. Well, the, the good news is all these guys are going to have great weather. You know, we're not gonna. It's not a. It's not gonna be a weather game, which is good. You know, it's 66 degrees. It's gonna be partly sunny. As I look here on my app for Mobile Alabama, Mobile Alabama, so that's good. At least we're gonna be able to have good weather and see what these guys can really do on the field. The bummer, though, breaking news is Matt Jones is now questionable for playing, which to me is code for is probably not gonna play if he's questionable two days before the game. Um, I guess I know you and I were texting about this, but Trey, I don't know if you saw it or not right toward the end of practice today, they were doing drills and somebody decided to go, you know, balls to the wall and they, and they fell down and rolled up on the back of Mac Jones's leg. And like, what's the one rule you, they, they, you hear these coaches yelling about stay off the ground, stay off the court, stay off the ground, stay off the quarterback. Yeah. And they rolled up the back of his leg and he, and he rolled his ankle. Now it doesn't seem like it's serious. It sounds like it, it's probably just a roll, maybe a sprain, but I think Matt Jones at this point has done enough this week to show that it, I think he can play at the next level. And he's, I mean, he's been by far the best quarterback here this week. I, I doubt he's going to play, which is kind of a bummer because I really wanted to see him live. But if he's not healthy, it's not fair to the other guys for him to go out there healthy. And it's really not fair to him either. Yeah. Which is, which is a bummer, which is a bummer. It's, it kind of dampens my enthusiasm a little bit. I'm really excited about this game, guys. I think this is probably one of the, the deepest senior bowls I can remember in a long, long time. And it's going to be one of the ones that's – it's going to be extremely important. I mean, there's no substitute for game film. And with no combine and no one-on-one drills at pro days, pro days are going to be strictly measurable events, 40s, um, you know, three-cone drill, vertical jump, stuff like that. There's going to be no one-on-one type stuff at these pro days. So this is a, this is a big deal for these guys, and I'm glad they were able to do it, and I'm really looking forward to the game. Yeah, I agree with you, Kenny. I, I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I have had a lot of fun watching a lot of these guys that we talk about, you know, leading up to the season, during the season, and really what they're capable of doing. And I couldn't agree with you more, right? I, I mean, has there been a senior bowl with more on the line for a prospect, right? And and being able to improve your draft stock. I, I can't remember a time where there is. 
and be able to get good film on tape, especially those guys that had opted out. I mean, and as we've seen with Sage Surratt, did he come prepared? And yeah. and is there a substitute? And, and I'm sorry, let me go back. Is this a lesson for future guys in sitting out in that there's no substitute for, for football speed, right, for football practice, right? You can do all the training you want. You can do all the things to get you ready. Is there a substitute for putting on the pads and, and playing the game? And I think that is yet to be seen, but it will be interesting if we get that feedback after all this is said and done, after April happens, it'll be interesting to kind of take a step back and have that discussion because there was a lot of guys that did that. And what is, what is the impact on that? And there's going to be a lot of guys that aren't here this week that there's going to be general managers that are going to take chances on those guys that'll go in the first round. You know, they were underclassmen and they'll get picked, but they didn't play. So what kind of player are they getting? And I think that's going to be the biggest talk after this week is those guys that opted out, was it the right decision or not? And I think that's going to kind of lead up all the way to April. Trey, Trey any, uh, any final thoughts on your end? And also, um, as you wrap up, remind our audience again where they can find you guys at, the Cop Football Bros, and, and just kind of give us a little bit if you guys are putting anything together. Yeah, so in terms of a final thought, uh, another element that's kind of cool that we haven't really touched on is just seeing some of the animation of the coaches. Like this year, seeing Matt Rule, like he has been yes. so – like he. I saw a drill where uh, – I think it was with Wyatt Huber early, a couple, earlier in the week where he just got so animated, so pumped. And then there was a clip today where – I don't even know if it was live. I don't know if they sunk it up. But Josh Palmer, the Tennessee receiver, juke someone out of, the, of their shoes, just like put him in a spin cycle. They showed – like they went to another video and showed uh, – Matt Rule, like, just kind of almost like his jaw drop. And I don't know if that was, like, kind of a fake. But either way, seeing his animation has been kind of a nice little added element to, to this week. Um, and so, but, yeah, just to kind of wrap up my 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 uh, stint here, part of the College Football Bros. Again, you guys introduced it nicely uh, at the beginning. You can follow us at CFB, CF Bros on, on social media. We have uh, We have a great time interacting with uh, a lot of fans. One of the great things about college football and, and sports in general is being able to kind of interact with people. And so now getting to speak with Gless a little bit, but Kenny more often in our discord, it's just great to hear other, other people's opinions. That's what's great about college football is it's a lot of, everyone has their own take, their own view, their own sense of, you know, from where they, where they come from. So it's been really a blast more than just the podcast, just getting to know some of the fans out there. Yeah. Uh, so, so we really have a, a fun time doing it. It's been a pleasure being uh, on this one with you guys as well. Yeah. And I, I also forgot you guys just started doing a lot of YouTube stuff as well. And it's been really top notch. Like I'm really enjoying the YouTube portion of what you guys are doing. Appreciate it. Yeah. Michael, my, the youngest brother kind of, heads it and he's done a very good job for us uh getting some of those videos out so yeah if you uh if you ever on youtube you can look for college football bros we appreciate any of the subscribers out there yeah as as our former co-host riley bradshaw you say make sure you ding the bell and subscribe <laughs> to the youtube channel amen stay with all the youtube content uh trey you know echo what kenny said thanks for being on man always love uh doing uh partner shows with you guys we do love your show uh, can't echo that enough. And make sure you, as a Prospects 101 listener, add Prospects 101 to your off-season college football and prospects routine by following us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Prospects 101 Pod. We are posting throughout the week 
talking a lot about the NFL draft, as you can imagine. Also, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform to stay up to date with all of our episodes. Also, a five-star review is greatly appreciated. We avoid, avoid you uh, or uh, I'm sorry, appreciate you spreading the word. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. Talk about the Senior Bowl for for Kenny, for Trey. I'm Glass. Enjoy the Senior Bowl. We'll be back to talk some more NFL draft next week.